Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Failure is actually good. It's actually the challenges that create the desire, but the challenges are what really define you. Grow more out of the challenge than you do out of the success. If you can believe it will be okay, it will be okay. That's a foundation that everyone can build on. I would encourage our people to say, you know what, I can do it and I can maybe even do it better. And practice saying that because somehow that turns into a belief. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas, and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher, and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. An accomplished entrepreneur and respected leader, my guest today is the founder of one of the most successful brand management companies worldwide. With almost 25 years of experience, she founded her first company in London in 1996, which has since been taken over and today has 24 offices in 16 different countries, a roster of leading brand representations in various sectors and generates multiple million dollars in retail sales annually for its clients. She has been the reason behind some of the greatest, most well-known and recognized brands of today, including the likes of celebrities such as David Beckham, Jennifer Lopez, and Rita Ora, not to mention luxury goods brands such as Rolex, Mercedes, and Christian Lacroix, to name a few of her extensive and impressive roster. A regular speaker, mentor, lecturer, and panelist at prestigious and esteemed venues and events, my guest works with the Central St. Martin's MA Fashion Design, the BFC Fashion Forum, and is a board member of 20 Club. She also works very hard to support incredible charities such as the Railway Children. But her journey to her success was not one that was straightforward or traditional, and she certainly did not follow the trajectory many parents set out for their children. She defied the expectations set out by others and followed her own rule book, dropping out of university after her first year and opting to, in quotes, learn on the street. She refers to herself at times like a high-functioning con artist who got lucky. However, as you will come to see through the course of our chat, that fortune may have played some small part in her success, but the use of her superpowers of resilience, eternal optimism and confidence in taking risks has paid dividends in shaping her accomplishments. She learned to make her internal demons work for her and says she has learned along the way that trust, integrity, and honesty is what got her through, much more than maybe any other formal education would have. When she is not busy branding the likes of Zendaya or James Bond, she may be found spending quality time with her gorgeous family pottering in the garden or redesigning large plots of land in the rolling hills of scenic countryside into the most stunning places for holidaying or catching up on sleep. A lover of nature, Pilates, friends, food and family, she is motivational, hugely encouraging and a visionary for us all. 
She has worked ambitiously to create her businesses and has learned much along the way about not only herself, but those around her too. She, like many other female founders, has learned how to best navigate boardrooms and offices monopolized mainly by men who may have discounted her input based on her gender alone. As she so remarkably puts it, we are all faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. I can think of no one better than my guest, Angela Ferugia, to inspire our young females and leaders of tomorrow by speaking to us on the Elevate podcast. Hello, and a very warm welcome to you, Angela. Well, Ramesha, thank you for that amazing, amazing introduction. Um, it is really coming right back at you as well, because your initiative in pulling this together has made me so proud of what you're doing. And uh, I've wanted to support it from the beginning. So uh, glad to be here. Oh, thanks so much. Our mutual admiration club for uh, women supporting women. That's brilliant. Already we're into the Elevate ethos. I love it. Um, you really have, though, achieved so much. And I feel there's so much to share. I'm not even sure we were able to cover it all in one episode, but I'm going to give it a go. And I'd love to start, if you wouldn't mind, with the young Angela. I would love to hear you address your days at school and what it was like for you, because as you say, being the best student was not always your thing. And you may not have always tried your hardest now. So formal education, am I right, didn't quite work out for you. <laughs> but you were still named head girl at your well, school. I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I got that because I'm, I'm incredibly social. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm not your academic girl. And um, I do hope this resonates with people out there as well. It's incredible to think about this now, but you don't know where you know, things come from when you're younger. You, you're not in control of your own talents or your own confidence, but I was definitely not your academic genius. And, you know, when it came to secondary education, I very much wanted to go out there and work in, in retail. I don't know where that came from, but my teachers were not uh, supportive of this and and all of the advice around me was you know just go to university get your degree blah 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 and it just didn't suit me at all did you sort of work that out quite quickly for yourself well I think you're in a, a you know a kind of a support bubble right up until that point where you know you're you're you've moved into this sort of higher education your independence is starting to click in some you know girls obviously earlier than others but for me you know, when I made the decision to not carry on, I did one year of university and then the hardest thing was writing to my dad, mm. telling him, you know, the first child in our entire family mm. was not going to continue with their education. That was probably one of the hardest things, but, but I knew it was right. I, you know, I wanted to go into work and I wanted to make my own future and I didn't really require any, any other support from them. I just needed to go and do it. Wow. Impressive. Really impressive. I imagine it couldn't have been entirely easy because you sort of, you went into university because you felt like you had to, you felt like that it was an expectation of you, I imagine. And that must've been quite hard to, to even get yourself through the door. But I love the fact that you stuck with your guts and after a year, you didn't sort of finish the whole process of being out there. You decided that you were going to say goodbye to it. So after one year you left and you say it was one of the hardest things you had to do. How did it go down with your family when you did eventually tell them? 
well, I think I kind of fudged it a little bit by saying to my dad I was taking a year off. Yeah, it was tough. Um, but tough, you know, for a, for a 19-year-old girl doesn't look the same as tough for an adult. Mm. Probably with kids thinking, I want the best for you and yes, you're going to stay in it. I can see that now being a parent, you know. <laughs> but I also know with my own kids that I you know, I want them to choose passion projects. I want them to find their own motivation. I want them to kind of see those things as early as possible. And our job is not to push them down tracks, but just encourage whatever is starting to emerge out of their own desires, really. Yeah, of course. It's interesting because my, my next question was going to be what lessons from that journey with your own dad have you sort of taken with your children today in, in terms of what you sort of guide them with. I sort of know that your father was a first generation Maltese immigrant who, who worked really hard. And I wonder if there was this whole worry in a young girl's mind of not letting her father down and making decisions that might make you feel bad because you're putting what you want to do first and not living up to his expectations. Oh, I think, you know, we're all saddled with things that we recognize and some inherent things that we don't even recognize. I, as I've got older, have understood my DNA mm-hmm. so much more closely. You know, I am my own worst enemy, but I am also the biggest cheerleader of my own self. Mm-hmm. So I've had to kind of straddle that. And it's taken me multiple years, obviously, at this great age to master my own you know, passions and desires and determination. And there's the whole nature nurture conversation and, you know, what what, the gifts we're given that come as a mix of our family and those that we go out there and find. Yeah. It's amazing though, that you've had the journey where you've been able to look back and then examine your DNA, as you say, and you use the word determination. And I think that's definitely one that I would have used to describe you. I wonder, does that come from watching or learning through what you say, nature versus nurture, but watching your father work so hard and make a life for all of you in Britain. Do you think that that's something that you learned through watching or do you think that's something that was innately in you? Because you also say that you're very hardwired not to let others down. Would you say you're a people pleaser as well? Yeah, I mean, these are really good questions. And I would say just, just dealing on my family background, my father was going to succeed and I only now in my later years understand that journey he went through but we had a volatile relationship you know I left home and part of the Maltese kind of the volcano that's inside is definitely within me you have to channel that to be positive so I was sitting there going I've got to make my own way but I just happened to have this massive determination to make it work. Uh, so it was a little bit of a, I'm going to do better than you scenario. <laughs> the hardwiring is interesting because it's probably been the biggest torment of my life is I just want to succeed for other people and I don't want to let them down. It's a huge gift, isn't it? To be able to a reflect on that and be so self-aware. But I imagine the age group of children that I'm working with and of the kids that we are now mothers of, they are going through all of the same things that you describe now. And I think that relationship between any parent and a teen 
is probably described as quite volatile at times, particularly um, in the given year that we've all suffered and we're all inside of each other's personal spaces even more than usual. Yeah. I wonder though, if as a parent today, you have a different view of your relationship with your father, or do you think that it, you know, all teens just have to go through this stage and it's a rite of passage for us all to just accept that we are going to be the receiving end of some punches from our teens? Well, I think take everything in the moment rather than reacting to everything. There are bigger battles coming down the line, I'm sure. Yeah, I I think what you touched on there in terms of projecting our aspirations and our hopes on our children is such a big one. And I think many parents, including myself, are so guilty of that. And I, I think back to some of the things I must have gone through as a kid and I know I've just certainly let my parents down in certain aspects of what their aspirations might have been. And I think that that separation is such a good, you've hit the nail on the head there. I think that's such a good reminder. So there you are, a university dropout, sort of letting down things that your family may have wanted. Yes. But you've got this new fire in your belly and you've got this sort of gumption to try and prove yourself to, well, to, to yourself probably, but also to your father. But how did it make you feel? Were there worries in your brain? Were you feeling despondent, nervous? I mean, what kind of emotions were going through you at this point, if you can think back? And I don't think, I don't think as a, a 19, 20, 21-year-old, you get bogged down with those fears and worries, as long as there's enough money in your bank account. Mm. And I knew I needed to go and get a job. And I knew that I wanted to be in retail. Somehow I managed to get this first job as a manager of a, an outerwear department in one of the department stores. And I got this job by sitting in front of somebody. And again, I don't know where it came from and saying to them, I will do the best job of anyone you've interviewed today. And the guy took a chance on me and I was never going to let him down. But it was hysterical because I had confidence and no knowledge, absolutely no knowledge. And I had some staff at the age of 19 and they were all in their 60s and they all, you know, loathed me when they saw me walk up. We we kind of really uh, exceeded expectations there from a very low base. But that sort of speaks volumes, doesn't it, to your leadership abilities? Because I think age is obviously important and of course lots of things come and lessons and maturity comes as we get older but I think for you to have this confidence in yourself which again is a is an elevate superpower that I love to get girls to think about um in our our program but at 19 for you to be able to speak to people that are twice the age if not three times the age of you and be able to lead them down a path where they're then on your side and working with you as a team is the ultimate goal for any leader isn't it well, you don't even know their leadership skills at that stage. You know, I was just a rookie, but I love talking to people and I love partnering with people to, mm. to make a result happen. And once they realized I wasn't a threat, then they adopted me because, <laughs> you know, knowledge, confidence without knowledge is so lopsided and confidence with knowledge is powerful. So once you do learn things, then you can really, you can really put your foot on the gas. So that was a, that was a very good start anyway. 
So you've always been a very hard worker and above all your diligence, you've also a never ending source of optimism and positive energy. You can hear it in your voice even now when you think back to your school days or your first job. I feel there's a lot of passion still that you you feel for those experiences. If you've always been like this and tell if, if not, tell us or can you share some of your insights on what or how the power of optimism can help you? Again, I do... I do have this fountain of, but it's not, um, it's not hollow. I just know we can do more. I know we can do better. You know, for the years we were all over in New York, uh, obviously I, I met you in Paris there and we had young children, but we were at the edge of the financial crisis. I'd gone over to run my business. And quite frankly, Ramita, that business was in a terrible state. We, I closed it down and started again. I was coming home in the evenings and crying and it was desperate, but you make a decision that you're actually going to survive this thing and be stronger uh, and be better. And actually we made the biggest inroads of all time whilst I lived over in the States for, um, for that period. And I have my second child. So it's positivity, but not like a hollow la la isn't the world, you know, (laughs) it's more combined with determination to do more and be better. Yeah. Well, that's a massive superpower, isn't it? Because when you you sort of, if we take switch gears a little bit, you say you went from retail. And then when you talk about this job in New York, that's to do with licensing, isn't it? That's yes. That's that's my business. Yeah. Yeah. So you have moved into something that's brand new again. You jumped into something that, you know, you, you said you didn't have a huge amount of knowledge in, but you knew that you wanted to go for it and you went for it. It's an interesting one because I think lots of people, including young girls, have this insecurity around something new and unknown and foreign. And even if something inside of them, if there's some sort of desire or passion that wants them to maybe take the first step, that they sort of listen to these, you know, voices in their minds and, and they, they kind of don't let their natural instincts take over. Whereas with you, I feel you've, you counter that. You're kind of the person we all look to because you will take that leap and you will take that a thing and, and you will march to the beat of your own drum. How do we instill yeah. that kind of risk taking into young children? What do you think? Well, actually, I think it, it might almost be like practice mm-hmm. and getting girls to actually practice saying, I can do that. And somehow you start to believe what you promote. I have over multiple years, obviously worked with hundreds of people at the end of the day, you know, having 25 offices around the world and doing all massive clients. You know, I've gone into companies now and talked about building cultures and things. And my eight tips on building culture, I think my second one is, you know, don't manage expectations, you know, because sometimes it's actually good to tell people what you want to be, what you want for them because we're going to come somewhere close or somewhere in the region. But, you know, it's a double-edged sword there because there are a lot of people that manage for risk. I I never have been risk averse. And so Mm. I would encourage our people to say, you know what, I can do it and I can maybe even do it better. And practice saying that because somehow that turns into a belief. You know, we can all read these things and think, yeah, 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 but... But actually, I think you almost do need to say, you know, I can, I can do this and I can do it well and make that into a mantra for yourself. It's great to hear you say that because it's not that it, you're 
life was one stroke of luck after another. It wasn't like you didn't have challenge, at which point you could just say, well, maybe I can't do this. In fact, you you sort of shared that you've been come you've come close to being fired multiple times that you've spent, like you said earlier, spent nights crying at home. Oh, yeah. so it's um, not like that there weren't times in your career that you felt, oh my gosh, like this is way harder than I maybe wanted it to be. But how, you know, again, that now that, that comes into the whole point of resilience and, and how we teach our children to be resilient. But how did you personally cope with those challenges? Well, it's that whole thing. If it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger. And you, I think at some point in your, your quiet times, you realize that you, you either give up or you tackle this thing. What is it you don't know? What don't we know? What I'm able to kind of be able to, to take myself away from a situation, look at it from a quiet place, look at it from, a, from almost a third party view and think, you know what, there's something I'm missing here. And after, after some of the shock, the desperation or the fear or the anxiety has gone away, you're left looking at, a, at an issue that you can think, okay, I'm going to look at it like this. And that was ex- entirely the situation in New York with our business. Actually, that period of time, you know, I did shut it down. We did start again, but also it was the financial crisis of 2006. And my business is all about retail and retail sales. So suddenly the buyer wasn't on the end of the phone and then the retailer wasn't on the end of the phone. So we had to reinvent ourselves. Everyone talks about pivot now. The reinvention happened in that moment. There's a really important message in here in terms of taking the time to listen, possibly. So take the time to actively listen as opposed to just be heard. It's listen, but it's also failure is actually good. Mm. I mean, to be honest with you, I think if everything had just been an open door for me, I'd probably be half the person I am now. It's actually the challenges that that create the desire. It's it's my dad probably, you know, (laughs) showing me how great he was. I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'm probably going to do it better. And but I didn't, not in an arrogant way. You don't know that. Um, But the challenges are what really define you. Yeah. Amazing. Grow more out of the challenge than you do out of the success. Yeah. It's so important for us to be reminded of that. It really is. It's not a bad thing to fail. Failure is good because you're not going to do that again. You're wiser. You're more determined. You're street smart. I am probably the incarnation of street smartness. I had a client when I was working for Jennifer Lopez. He used to call me the brand gangster. Did you find, especially living in New York, um, and then obviously you've lived in, and worked in London and lots of other big top cities, where you know being a female was a difficulty for you, or was it ever a barrier in order for you to be able to get the clients you wanted or be able to have yourself heard? The female thing is interesting because I don't think I really paid massive attention to it as I was building my own career, future, business, operations, having several hundred employees uh, who I respected equally for what they did. But when we were acquired by a corporation, Mm. that was my first exposure to anything that could be called, you know, preferences to male biases, the boardroom, the glass ceiling, anything like that. 
you really okay. had never encountered it or it, you know it never had put me off I used to be incredibly aware in the states because I was there for multiple years and pitching for some of the biggest brands in the world from Coca-Colas and Hershey's and Jeeps and multiple big brands. I used to be aware of being in a meeting and those clients liking me. I'm incredibly sensitive to the what's going on in a room, but knowing they needed to hear an American voice. So I used to put my colleagues forward because they needed American voices. So I was aware of all of that. That was never a problem. I think you all have to understand the place you play, but never aware of any kind of discrimination or anything like that until we were acquired. And then it's sort of, okay, this is what this looks like. But then, wow, did you sort of feel like you were hit with a ton of bricks? You know what? Strangely enough, I didn't believe it at the beginning. Mm. And I didn't really understand what I was looking at Mm. because it just was not the way we conducted our business but we were acquired by a big corporation was obviously incredibly male at the the very senior level it's a public company and actually they didn't want your voice they don't want the eq they want the iq but they don't you know you know business setup very much thrives from a balance of emotional quota and intelligence quota and those two things really, you know, help everything thrive. But, but this was an organization that seemed very lopsided, but I knew I didn't have a, a, a place, you know, at the top because they weren't inviting me there. They weren't encouraging it. It's disappointing and it's, but it's a reality. It's, it's something that I wonder how many other females uh, listening to this or other female entrepreneurs trying to navigate their roles in these top level positions are facing on a daily basis. Would you have any advice for anyone today on that? I'm still in contact with a number of the um, managers, directors we had in the business who've actually all gone on to be successful in their own right. Few of them still in the business and maybe struggling if they're female as well. But I do think you have some choices about the way you tackle it. And unfortunately, it's not an option for us, and I speak collectively as women, I think, to get over-emotional and start fighting battles that feel too personal. I think the loser in all of that is you. So this isn't necessarily a survival tactic, but this is just about... Self-care. Uh, yeah, it is self-care. We will encounter it, but don't let it diminish you. Because I think for women, you can let it eat you up. Yeah. And that is not a good outcome. It's interesting that balance though, isn't it? You're absolutely right. And I think I, I see it across the board and in, in all industries, not just in, you know, in entrepreneurship. I just think women innately carry this weight in order to try and do right by, by everybody. I think that's, that's sort of a, maybe a mass generalization. I don't mean to say every woman does that, but I feel like on balance, I seem to notice that streak in us women a lot more. And I, um, I wonder what it is in our internal sort of default position that makes us wired that way. I'm not sure how we can break that cycle, but I think. Yeah. And believe me, I love a fight. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely, for me, it has been a challenge to sort of rein it back in and actually keep positive and keep, you know, practical. Um, 
about the situation rather than let it diminish into a shouting match. That's not going to do anyone. It's taken me a long time to understand this. No, you're right. And I think, you know, teens are probably really, you know, at the height of this internal kind of understanding who they are and and confused by their identity and and what they want and and having any kind of self-awareness at that point in their development isn't an expectation really. Maybe lots of adults should have, but I think as we I wonder if we ever really break out of it as we get older. It sort of leads me to my next question. Did you have people to support you through these challenging times? Did you have other colleagues or mentors? Again, I don't know if mentoring is something that's more of a recent phenomenon, but what you think or how you think people can lean on others to get through these challenges when they are feeling like they're failing? I think you do need to be surrounded by great friends. Uh, your friends are your your kind of life family. You kind of get the friends you deserve and you build friendships and you should, you know, nurture those things as well. But obviously it wasn't something I was ever going to be able to take back to a family. I've had a, uh, I had a business partner with me for 25 years who was literally the other side of me. So he was the... IQ were and really in business, I could not have asked for more of that partnership. <laughs> it's refreshing to hear it though, you know. I think lots of us have visions or perceptions of what a successful leader or company owner looks like and how they should present. And I think your honesty and reflection is 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 actually like I say, refreshing for us to hear. It's nice to be able to make it more human not always so polished and perfect. It's definitely not either of those things. It it has, you know, had an amazing, I look back and think, okay, you know, we did good. We did, we did all right. But sometimes, you know, it takes you 15 years to have an overnight success Mm. and you can be slogging away. I've had my house on the line, you know, all sorts of things that sometimes my peers and my friends didn't even realize what we were going through. But then suddenly the whole thing gels and, yeah, I mean, and then you start getting awards and things. You think, oh, wow, <laughs> these yeah. are pretty spectacular. Um, and then you realise, actually, you've got to give it back. That's mm. the difference. Mm. You've got to start, you know, sharing this in some way, shape or form. That is definitely a sort of a later life concept, not your young girls, but mm. this is part of it. And this is why I love what you're doing here as well. But it's... um it's wonderful because it's nice for people to think that we're all part of a bigger picture. It's not, I think teens are very, in the age group that I work with is all part of like an age and stage of their life where the world revolves around the eye and and where you are the center of the universe that you dominate. So in some ways, I think these conversations are really great because it reminds not just our young folks, but even people our age that we're all part of a bigger picture and a bigger family and working together. is is so important and i think the next great thing about that i was going to bring up in our conversation today is this continual cycle that you have seemed to you know never give up on yourself for but then you reinvent yourself and you start again you mentioned starting your company again but i also think not just professionally you've sort of taken certain parts of your careers and then and you've decided right this is what i've done and this is where you know, i've done that i've achieved that now i want to start this and it's something that i think lots of people have fears about i think that notion of sort of going to school and getting a job and retiring in it is something that's been around for so long that 
lots of parents have this sort of fear for you to say that once you successfully sold off your global branding company and then you set up something else again, I don't even think you gave yourself much time between the two. I don't know if you could share a little bit, but what is that process like for you? Does it fill you with anxiety at all about what next? I think that with young girls, the way I look at it is so you took one step, take two steps tomorrow and take three steps the next day and each day it'll be okay. But I don't know if it's like that when it's for an exam. I think it's, I can use that philosophy and it seems to work, but does it apply to us as adults as well with a fear of your future? Yeah, I think totally. The future, particularly if we change a lot of the set elements around us, is always full of mystery and therefore fear. If you can believe that it will be okay, it, it will be okay, then that's a foundation that everyone can build on. I walked out of a business with all these offices, with huge teams, huge support networks, whatever. And I thought, hmm, I'm on my own. But during this wonderful, you know, time, career, whatever, I've, I've learned a lot of things. And uh, I actually knew then I needed to spend a lot of time giving back. And um, by the way, it's very easy to give back in scenarios straight away. You know, as part of any kind of reinvention, that can come quickly because you actually have no expectation except where can I help? Where can I add value? So that gets you out there and starting to think differently anyway. Mm. So uh, as it happened, Design and Central St. Martins approached me at the same time I was leaving my company. I was asked if I could put together a, a lecture for the new students. I said, yes, of course, of course I would. And now I regularly, I've done seminars all through this. I mean, I never thought I would do this. I mentor them and I love their journey. That's great because that was just exploratory. See, because I think that sort of talks about the whole idea of not pigeonholing ourselves into career or course choices or choosing a course or a path that we think that we are stuck in it because like this opportunity, each each one is like a stepping stone to learn from, possibly. And if you take yeah. every opportunity that you're presented with as, as a learning opportunity and something you can enjoy, because you don't know what stage of development and, and what it'll change for you later on, is it's remarkable to think about, right? I think we maybe limit ourselves to these. Absolutely. You need to stand back from where you are and think, okay, what am I great at? What am I really good at? What are the things I love doing? Because when you compile those together, you can apply those to several different elements. Mm. You need to pull together the things you love, the things you're good at, and that will give you, I don't know, 10 scenarios. Maybe you're going to go and save the world and be a, you know, somebody on the science side, but it, it, it doesn't need to be so pigeonholed so early on. Because I don't think you know who you are and what your real skills are until your mid-twenties. Mm. Then you start to master your own talents. Then you think, yeah, okay, I can see where that's the kind of area. The jobs we know for our, our children now probably don't even exist, half of them. No, they don't. I'm sure of that too. I'm sure of it. Uh, it's such a challenge. I was going to ask you how much importance and value and time you spend on relationship building. How do you build that trust and how do you instill that in your employees? Um, relationship building, by the way, is, is, is every day 
all day, yeah. any interaction, whether it be work, it should never be goal orientated. It should literally be about the fact that you are meeting people and they have their own challenges and they have their own excitements. And there's always something to learn. People obviously take their positions up as for different importance in your life. You can set the effect you have on people very early on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're open and interested, it makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. If you're responsive and considered and a little bit humble at all times, mm-hmm. then no one is ever going to not want to talk to you or chat to you or remember you. Yeah. Do you think empathy also fits in there somewhere? Yes, totally. I mean, again, this is this whole thing about listening. Yeah. You listen to what people say. Okay. Yeah. You might take a kernel of it. You might take a seed of it. You might take all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause we're all chameleons. Yeah. Yeah. We see things and we think, Oh, I love that. I love the way she's doing that. I'm going to be doing it. <laughs> But I'm going to do it my own style. (laughs) At some point, the rubber has got to hit the road. Obviously, you've got to be successful. But you have to talk to them and listen to them. I sat with them and understood what they wanted to be. And today, you are a mentor, as you mentioned, and you work with young folks and young adults. What kind of key messages do you want them to walk away with based on your own experiences? I spend a lot of time talking about attitude. and. For me, I think I can speak more easily to the attitude and the mentality of an entrepreneur. Mm. And, you know, I've never been in a corporate environment. In fact, those last few years whilst we were acquired were almost alien. But what I do, you know, talk to them about is superhuman strength, you know, the ability to not be knocked down, the importance of failing and getting yourself back up there you know, you have to work hard. You have to read around your subject. You have to research and understand trends and what is going on and knit that all together in your own unique way. So I do coach them a lot on attitude because it plays a big part in how you're perceived. And if you're the driver of your own business, and I do believe all of our young people are their own businesses these days. They are, you know, entrepreneurs in waiting. So they have to tap into this scenario where they won't always have all the answers, but they can make things happen for themselves. This is the biggest question they ask me Mm. is how can you prompt that situation so I can get it going? (laughs) And I, I can teach them some of those tricks, Mm. you know, how you can make things open up for you. It's amazing then. So it's a lot of it is sort of how you show up, what you bring. Yeah. 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 You know, everybody loves success. Everybody Mm -hmm. wants to succeed. When we finally acknowledge that everyone wants to succeed, then it's okay. What do we need to do to get there? It's sort of a a fundamental, you know, honesty. And then putting the goalposts in the right places and making them realistic for yourself whilst challenging. It's not an easy thing for young people and adults, even at our age or any age, to continually remember to keep moving those goalposts. I think that success can keep moving. But but also success can be small things. You know, it can be someone saying thank you to you. It can be, it can be really daily celebration. It can be daily little bites. So it doesn't have to be, you know, I've arrived at my goal. Thank you very much. And good night. 
that's not it. It's about the incremental steps, as you said. You take one step, you take two steps, but you actually look back and you go, okay, I did that well. Or I could have done it better, but I'm actually, you know, here, here we are. I know, and not so much by the number of followers that you've got on TikTok or something, right? No. That's some sort of, I don't know how people are marking themselves along that, but that's, it's managing to create all sorts of success in some young people's lives when they, when they get this following. And I think that reminding themselves about the little things and the little bite-sized things you mentioned um, is, is what really matters. And it's the, it's the success that probably we should be, we should be chasing. So that's a lovely reminder and a really nice note. Um, to almost, oh, we've been talking forever. Gosh, where does the time go? Almost end on, I think. But I, I do still want to know from you if you've got personal role models, who they might be and what you take from them. I actually get a lot from um, my friends around me. They inspire me to think differently. I do constantly. <laughs> I mean, I love listening to uh, some of your podcasts and obviously that has sent me off in a direction. I'm working very closely with Alice Tempoli, putting her global business together right now. And I love hanging out with her because she's got an incredibly different paradigm to me. Mm-hmm. So actually I'm finding inspiration in that. So I don't want to peg it to one person. It's all around I love that. That's really, really great. And if you could pick two really big highlights, good, I mean, obviously we've talked a lot about the challenge and probably highlighted that a lot, but if we could think of a really great positive highlight in your career, what would that be and why? That moment when I came back in my career and I changed the way our our industry thinks about things by going back to what I love. There was a huge risk I took. I was about to be fired. I do know that there was a moment I went back and I told my CEO why we were not going to renew any single piece of revenue that we had in our business. And he went with me. And I look back now on those things and I I see the scale of it. I see what I asked for and why he should have said no. So that's my first one, definitely. You know, sometimes I think, my God, I'm just a con artist because, you know, obviously my children are the greatest gift ever and we are so much better when we have them because we understand, you know, we have multiple dimensions and we've got so much more to give. So I've got to, I've got to say my husband, my kids, my family, you're going to make me tearful now. Oh, that's, sorry, I don't want to make you tearful, I, but it's one of the best things. That's the best way to end, yeah. Yeah, brilliant way to, and great way to have gratitude for all the things around you that make you, you. Yeah, absolutely. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be here. Oh, absolute pleasure, Amita. Thank you. How fabulous to have Angela Ferugia join us and share some of her key insights from her personal journey. I, for one, will take some of her reminders about following your instincts and listening to your gut feeling a lot more, I think. I hope all of you will have also taken away something and share the podcast with others. As always, I really appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast as well. Until next week, I can't wait to have you join me again and we shall speak then. Bye for now.